أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين السلام عليكم again uh, welcome to anyone who might listen to this podcast welcome to you guys who are here uh, today's discussion uh, inshallah will be um, uh, as I mentioned actually a few weeks ago um, uh, when we were in another room over in the law building, um, I mentioned that we, you know, uh, ought to that, that we should have a discussion um, on Bedu Uzaman's um, angelology. So his view um, uh, of um, uh, angels, Malaika, um and their importance. You know, their importance in so far as they are um, belief in them is actually a tenet of faith, right? So, um, yeah, I thought we'd go ahead and do that. Um, it's going to be based on uh, just part of the 29th word, which is on the immortality of man's spirit and on the angels and the hashir, the resurrection. Um, so we'll only look at um, uh, the part about angels. Now, um, there are in our religion six um, articles of faith, right? Six things that you've got to believe in, in order to count, you know, as having um, correct belief. Now, belief in uh, angels is actually the second, the second one of those, okay? Um, if I'm not mistaken, right? I'm, yeah, so how, how does it go? Does anyone know the exact order in which they go? Uh, should, anyone? The exact order? Tell us. Well, the difference from one hadith to another. Okay. Both the good and the apparently evil of it. Exactly right, exactly right. So it's noteworthy that belief in the angels is second on that list, okay? Um, even before um, scripture, okay, which I think is generally third, um, and even before um, uh, prophethood. Okay, so belief in angels is, yeah, you know, that's significant. So the question is, therefore, why is it, um, why does it have that degree of significance? Um, yeah, why do we need to believe in them? But not just why do we need to believe in them, but why is belief in them such a significant matter? Um, and we're going to see that Bedouzaman's going to relate um, belief in angels um, to the knowledge of Allah's names and attributes, okay? Um, so we're going to see how that's so. All right? So given that Allah has, just in brief, you know, as a brief introduction, um, given that Allah has created in the first place in order to make his names and attributes known, in order to make his beauty and perfection known, it follows from that, right? It actually follows from that that there must be angels in great great um plenitude in great there must be great multitudes of angels okay and in fact there's a hadith uh in respect of this right? um and i'm pretty sure it's been mentioned you know uh in in, in these discussions before uh it goes roughly like this you know our prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam says that you know he knows what we don't um uh he knows that the heavens are creaking the heavens are literally creaking why from the quantity of angels, right, in the created realm, right, in the entire universe, 
and even outside the universe, in whatever Allah has created, um, there are angels everywhere. He says that there, are, there is not a four-finger space in which there is not an angel glorifying Allah, prostrating to Allah. Okay. Um, so, yeah, why so many angels? Okay. Um, what is the meaning of that? And, yeah, what is the significance of that? That will be um, uh, the basis of this discussion. And what we will see in the end, inshallah, like what we will learn from it, is like with all our discussions, something about, you know, uh, something about the kind of being that we're worshipping, okay? Um, the reason, in the end, we're going to see that the reason why belief in angels is important and indeed the reason why there are so many angels um, is, go is going to be because of the kind of being that Allah is. Right? The sort of being that he is is such that this quantity of angels is quite required, okay? Anything short of that is not going, to, not going to suffice, not going to be acceptable, given the kind of being that he is. Right. So let me commence with uh, just a, a short read from the 29th word. The 29th word. This, the 29th word, is about the immortality of man's spirit, his ruh, the malaika, the angels, and the hashr, the resurrection. And it starts here with a couple of verses which don't have the Arabic handy. I might be able to remember at least part of it. And inshallah, Steek or Shabir can help me with the rest. Uh, Therein came down the angels and the spirits by the permission of their sustainer. So I'm pretty sure that's going to be Tanazalul Malaikatu Warruhu Fiha Bi'ithni Rabbihim. Yeah, is that the one? Am I right? Yeah. Um, and then there's another one. Um, say, the spirit comes by command of my sustainer, my Rabb. Remember that one? This treatise consists of an introduction and two aims. Okay, so we're going to look at the introduction and maybe bits of the first aim only. Okay. It may be said that the existence of angels and spirit beings, right, ruhaniya, spirit beings, is as definite as that of human beings and animals. Indeed, as is explained in the first step of the 15th word, reality undoubtedly requires and wisdom certainly demands that, like the earth, that, like the earth, the heavens too have inhabitants and that it, its inhabitants are intelligent and that they are suitable for the heavens. In the tongue of the Sharia, those inhabitants, of which there are numerous kinds, are called angels and spirit beings. Okay. Malaika and Ruhaniya. Indeed, reality requires it to be thus. For despite the earth's smallness and insignificance in relation to the heavens, it's being filled with intelligent beings and from time to time being emptied and then refilled with new ones suggests, rather, it states clearly, that the heavens too, with their majestic constellations like adorned palaces, are filled with animate creatures, the lights of the light of existence, and conscious and intelligent creatures, the lights of animate creatures. Like man and the jinn, those creatures, too, 
are spectators of the palace of the world and ponderers over the book of the universe and heralds of this realm of Rububiyya, dominicality. With their universal and comprehensive worship, they represent the mighty and universal glorification of the universe. The nature of the universe surely points to their existence. Okay. So he's not just taking it as, um, he's not merely taking it on faith, okay, that these beings exist. And that they are everywhere. He's not merely taking it on faith. Yes, it's the second article of faith and any Muslim has got to believe in it. He's, 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 he takes it that there are um, reasons to actually believe in their existence quite apart from the fact that it's an article of faith. Okay. He's saying the universe surely points to their existence. For since it is embellished and decked out with uncountable numbers of finely adorned works of art and meaningful decorations and wise embroideries, it self-evidently requires the gazes of thoughtful admirers and wondering, appreciative lovers. It demands their existence. Yes, just as beauty requires a lover, so too is food given to the hungry. Thus, the sustenance of spirits, rus, and nourishment of hearts in this boundless beauty of art looks to the angels and spirit beings. It points to them. For while this infinite adornment, adornment requires an infinite duty of contemplation and worship, man and the jinn can perform only a millionth of that infinite duty, that wise supervision, that extensive worship. This means that Boundless variety of angels and spirit beings are necessary to perform those duties and to fill and inhabit the mighty mosque of the world with their ranks. Indeed, a species of the spirit beings and angels is present. Right, so he's going to tell us like exactly just what is the extent right, of the quantity of these beings. Right, Just how many of these beings are there? Right, All right. A species of these spirit beings and angels is present in every aspect, in every sphere of the universe, each charged with a duty of worship. It may be said, according to both the narrations of a number of hadith and the wisdom in the order of the world, that from some lifeless planets and stars to raindrops, Each is a ship or vehicle for a kind of angel. Okay, so I'll read that again. Right, so this is according to a number of hadith and the wisdom in the order of the world. Okay, that from some lifeless planets and stars to raindrops, each is a ship or vehicle for a kind of angel. The angels mount these vehicles with divine permission and travel observing the manifest world. They represent, or they represent, their praise and glorification. Okay, so we're going to come back to what that means. It's really significant there. And it also may be said that certain sorts of living bodies act as aeroplanes for different kinds of spirits. From the birds of paradise called the green birds in a hadith, which indicates that, so the hadith says that, 
the spirits of the people of paradise enter into green birds in the Berzach, the intermediate realm, and travel around paradise in them. All right. So in accordance with that hadith, So from the birds of paradise, called the green birds, right, to flies, right, everything from green birds, the green birds of paradise to flies, each is a vehicle for a sort of spirit. The spirits enter into them at a divine command, and through the faculties and senses of those living bodies, like eyes and ears, observe the miracles of creation in the corporeal world. They perform the particular glorification of each. And so, just as reality necessitates it to be thus, so too does wisdom. For, with an intense activity, the all-wise maker continuously creates subtle life and luminous intelligent beings from dense earth, which has little connection with spirit, and from turbid water, which has a small relation only with the light of life. He surely then creates certain sorts of intelligent beings from the seas of light and even from the oceans of darkness, from the air, from electricity, and even and, and from other subtle matter, most suitable for the spirit and appropriate for life. And surely these creatures are exceedingly numerous. Okay, so that's the end of the introduction. See if we need to look at any of the first aim. Uh, Might read just a paragraph or two of that so that our discussion makes more sense. Um, okay, so now going into the first aim directly after that. To believe in the angels and affirm that belief is a pillar of faith. There are four fundamental points in this aim. First fundamental point. The perfection of existence is through life. Rather, the true existence of existence is through life. Life is the light of existence and consciousness is the light of life. Life is the summit and foundation of everything. Life appropriates everything for each thing. It is as though it makes one thing the owner of everything. Through life, one living thing may say, all these things belong to me. This world is my house. The universe is my property, given to me by my owner. Just as light is the cause of things being seen, Right, so just as light is the cause of things being seen, and according to some of the existence even of colours, so too is life the revealer of beings. It is the cause of their qualities being realised. Furthermore, it makes an insignificant particular general and universal, and is the cause of and is the cause of universal things being concentrated in a particular and it is the cause of all the perfections of existence, by, for example, making innumerable, innumerable things cooperate and unite and making them the means of unity and endowing them with the spirit. Life is even a sort of manifestation of divine unity in the levels of multiplicity and the mirror reflecting divine oneness. Hadir. Okay, leave that there. Okay, and this last bit here will be relevant to us, okay? So this is the end of the first name, first paragraph, okay? In short, it may be said that if there was no life, okay, so I'm skipping a fair bit of what he's just said, it may be said that if there was no life, existence would not be existence. It would be no different from non-existence. 
Life is the light of the spirit and consciousness the light of life. Since life and consciousness are important to this extent and since there is self-evidently an absolutely perfect order in the universe and a masterly precision and most wise harmony and since our lowly wretched globe, our wandering earth has been filled with uncountable numbers of animate beings, intelligent beings and beings with spirits, it may be concluded with decisive certainty that those heavenly palaces, those lofty constellations, also have animate and conscious inhabitants appropriate to them. As fish swim in water, so also are those luminous inhabitants present in the fire of the sun. Fire does not consume light, rather fire aids light. Okay, I'm going to stop reading there. So some of can see see some of what we said last week is actually being mentioned here is actually relevant. Remember we said last week we spoke about existence, um, and we saw there was a relation, a close link between existence and goodness. Okay, um, and we said that one of the things one of the things that we take to be good is life. Okay. Now, can we remember why we said that life was such a good? Why is that life? Why is that life is a good? Right? How does life end up being connected to existence? Right? Um, Well, it plays a similar role to um, light. Right? Life is similar to light, as he mentions here. In that, here you've got physically existent beings. Okay. You know, we've got we've got chairs, tables phones in the absence of light these things are going to be quite like the dark matter of the universe they're going to be hardly known right so we only know about dark matter you know very much by inference right um we can't although it's something physical something quite physical our knowledge of it is quite scant why because by definition it does not reflect light remember we mentioned that last week right so see how light is quite critical for being able to perceive and thereby know um, physical beings okay Um, well life is exactly like that in the absence of life but just I'm saying here quite clearly that existence may as well be non-existent there is hardly any difference between existence and non-existence in the absence of um, life, and this is such a um, uh, this is a truth that's been understood even among the secular thinkers, the secular philosophers. Hence, why we mentioned last week that um, uh, idea in philosophy. Okay, that hey, if a tree falls in the forest and there's no one there to hear it, isn't that even a um, a verse from like aren't that isn't that a set of lyrics from a Midnight Oil song? Right? Am I right? Maybe there are no midnight all fans here. <laughs> Too young, right? <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, I'm pretty sure. You know, uh, even in even in um, you know popular culture and certain songs, right? This is um, you know this appears, right? This notion that if a tree falls in the forest and there's no one there to hear it, did it really fall? Okay, that's a question that's being asked and that's to this day you know debated. Well, well Beduzaman seems to be a proponent of that view. Imagine this. Imagine that there is no life whatsoever. Imagine there's not even God. Asha, right? Let's imagine the impossible for a moment. Right? 
If there's not even God, but yet there is still a physical universe, right? there is no life of any sort, let's pretend, in this universe. There's no, there's no God to look at it, to know it. Um, there, there are no uh, jinn, there's no devil, right? there are no human beings, there are no angels, no, there, there aren't even microbes. No life of any sort, therefore no consciousness. No life, therefore no consciousness. How is this um, universe, this physical world, or even in even any of the non-physical realities in it, how is any of it going to be known? It can't be known, right? Um, if it can't be known, right? If there isn't, is, if, the, if if it can't be known, well, what? How much sense does it make to say that it exists? Because in the absence of conscious living beings, there is no such thing as meaning, even. Okay? There is not even such a thing as meaning, so therefore how can we talk about the meaning of something's being existent even? See what I mean? <laughs> All right. In the absence of life, there isn't even meaning. Right? Like think about this right here. Like he, he, here is a bottle of water. Um, because there are us intelligent, living, conscious beings, this has a meaning. Okay. What is it? It's a bottle of water. Right? It has a meaning, it has a purpose. In the absence of um, us kinds of intelligent beings, really, um, at best, it's just a collection of particles. We can't even talk about, well, it really even being a collection. We can't even talk about it being an arrangement of particles. See, all these are like, um, uh, to have all of these, uh, you first need to have a notion of meaning. Right, there's got to be meaning. Okay, there can't be, you know, uh, in a meaningless world, there can't be any talk of water bottles or collections of particles arranged in a certain way. You know, in one respect, yeah, those particles are there. Right, the particles are there in one respect, even if we're not here and there are no living beings. But to the extent that it has no meaning, in that sense, it's as though it doesn't exist. Okay, because when we say that things exist for us, they exist for us together with their meanings, don't they? Okay, things don't just exist simpliciter, right? They don't just merely exist. Every single thing that exists for us exists together with a certain meaning that it has for us. Yeah, it has a certain meaning, you know, whether, whether a star or a microbe or a water bottle, all has a particular meaning for us. But in the absence of any kind of living being, and therefore any kind of conscious being, and therefore any kind of intelligent being, ah, there is no meaning. And so therefore those things just do not exist in a sense, at least in a sense, they don't exist. Um, so this is an important notion, right, for the question of why there are angels everywhere. Okay, um, Let's say, before we get to that punchline, right, let's just say a few words about angels. Okay, um, What do we mean by angels? You know what? What kind of beings are they? Um, what kind of you know duties do they have? Uh, let's say a few words about that, inshallah. Um, so angels, according to what Bedrizaman's saying here, they are everywhere in the universe. Okay, um, what they do is that they carry out duties with Allah's permission. Okay. The question is going to be why, like why are there these kind of, in a sense, these intermediaries, right? Um, so you've got this, you've got the physical world and all the things in it, yeah. Um, 
for each and every single physical thing, right? At every level of existence too, right? Because, like, look, um, here you've got um, first the book, right? But if I put four books together, now you've got, in a sense, yet another thing over and above those four books. Namely, you've got a kuliat, right? A collection. You've got a collection of books. That's another thing over and above just the individual books, yeah? All right, so similarly, right, you've got first a particle, right? Let's say a fundamental particle like a quark. Um, then when that quark joins with other quarks and they act together in certain ways, look, now you have yet another thing over and above the individual quarks. Now you have a proton or a neutron, depending on you know, how it behaves, or depending on its charge, right? Well, for every one of those things at every level, right, at the... At the fundamental level, um, at the subatomic level, the atomic level, the molecular le level, um, you know, the elemental level, the level of, you know, the, of macroscopic beings, and the level of big things like, you know, galaxies and stars and universes, all right? At every level, for every single one of those things that I've mentioned, there is an angelic being, okay, associated with that. That's how uh, plentiful they are. At every level, for everything. So it's not merely that, you know, every part, every, you know, um, particle of the universe has an angel associated with it. It's more than that. Uh, so here, yeah, so there's one angel for each of the particles of this book, but then another angel for the book itself. And that goes for every single thing. Every single thing in this universe. There are angels associated with absolutely everything. Right? So the, the question's going to be why. That's what we're going to come to. Okay. Um, what role do they play? Well, they, in a sense, act as the interface between, you know, the seen and the unseen realms, okay? Um, as I mentioned, right, so in the seen realm here, um, you've got the physical, you've got physical things, and even non-physical things, but they're not seen, but they're, you know, perceived in other ways, right? They're known in other ways, okay? Um, like, you've got things like, for example, meanings and words, but this one's going to say there are even angels associated with them. Even for meanings and words, there are angels associated with them. All right. There is nothing that does not have an angelic being associated with it. Whatever Allah has given um, a reality to, right? uh, even darkness is saying. Right? Even the, what's darkness? We said it's just the absence of light. Right? Even for that reality, even for that sort of thing or non-thing, okay? there is an angel associated with that. So that they act as the interface, right, between the mulk, the manifest realm, and the malakut, right, the, the, yeah, the unseen realm, if you will. So what Allah does is he gives commands. Right? He gives command, a command, let's say, for three um, quarks to come together and become a proton or a neutron. What carries that command? Like, who obeys that command right, are the angels. All right, so that's the role they play. They are perfectly obedient entities. They don't have, well, maybe, but for some exceptions, generally they don't have free will. Okay, um, yeah, it could be that there are some very rare um, uh, angels that have a kind of limited free will, but certainly none of them has the free will to choose um, haram, to do wrong, to disobey, in other words. 
all right? They all just obey, and they obey perfectly well. Unlike us, for example, uh, sometimes we want to obey, but we can't due to the fact that we get tired, right, um, and things like that. Right? You know, we're limited in countless ways so that we can't do all the things that we want, even when we want to obey. But these beings aren't like that. They are perfectly obedient, okay? What we perceive or know as the laws of the universe exist because of these beings, all right? Um, every time something is dropped from a height, right, it falls to uh, whatever has greater mass, yeah? Right? Bodies attract one another um, at a certain rate, right? So that force, that gravitational force, right? what that really is, what that really is are malaika acting, obeying Allah's commands. Okay. Now, let's not make the mistake of thinking, however, maybe unlike in some other religions, that Allah is in any sense reliant or dependent uh, upon these um, entities. They, uh, Allah could bring it about that you know, this falls or an apple falls from a tree, or three quarks come together to form um, a proton and a neutron, even if the angels weren't there. It's not that they're needed uh, in that sense of the word. Okay? Um, it's just that divine wisdom, and in fact all the divine names and attributes, right? divine beauty in general, right? um, requires that they exist. So that's different to saying that they're needed by Allah. Right? I mean, Allah is a being of infinite power, and he does not require helpers does not require helpers um, in that sense of the word. But um, for reasons that we're going to see, yeah, his wisdom dictates that they exist. So that's, that's their function. Now, some of them are um, higher ranking, in a sense, than others, right? That's an interesting point, actually. Um, because here's the thing. These beings don't have free will. Now, remember we said in previous discussions that um, our means for coming closer to Allah our means for uh, knowing Allah to a greater extent and so on, um, and through that maturing, right, is largely dependent upon our having free will and with that free will being able to be tried, right? Our, our being able to suffer um, difficulties of various kinds, pain of various kinds, um, you know, uh, uh, through these sorts of things, right, combined with our having free will and nafs and enna, uh, ego, basically, um, and uh, you know, nafs, as we know, is the you know, evil commanding or the instinctual soul. Right? So these things together um, mean that we can you know, um, rise through the ranks of maturity, right? We can rise through the ranks. We can come closer to Allah. We can become a high-ranking being in that sense. Right? But the angels don't have those faculties. So how is it? Here's the interesting thing. How is it that there are some angels that are, you know, are higher-ranking than others? Right? That's the interesting thing, because there are, right? There are, for example, the four, um, you know, the four high-ranking angels, you know. Um, there's, of course, um, uh, Jibril, right, who is the angel responsible for revelation, right? When the Qur'an was revealed to our Prophet wasallam, it was done through, again, the, uh, the mediation of Jibril, salam. Look, we even say salam after we mention his name. That's the extent of his rank. Um, you've got, um, uh, for example, Israel, the angel of death, right? He's the one who comes in, you know, takes your um, uh, ruh from your body when you die. 
You've got um, Israfil, right? Um, Malak Kasur. He's the blower of the trumpet. Right? He blows the trumpet twice, right? First he blows it for doomsday, and then he blows it for Hashid for resurrection. It's a very high-ranking angel. And then finally you have um, uh, Michael, Mikhail. Um, he is the angel responsible for certain macroscopic events. For example, um, the changing of the seasons. Um, uh, and matters similar to that, right? You know, say the rains and things like that. Okay. Um, so although, yeah, interestingly, like, although each raindrop, as I said earlier, each raindrop itself will have an angelic being associated with it. But nonetheless, still, there is this kind of supervisor um, angel, and that's Mikhail. Right? So these beings, as far as I can tell, they have a, a greater closeness to Allah only insofar as they are mirrors to the divine names in a more shining way um, or to a greater extent, right? They make the divine names known and they know the divine names to a greater extent, given their duties, to a greater extent than some other angels whose duties are more particular. Right? You've got, you know, the angel whose role it is, is you know, to um, bring it about that a quark joins another quark, right? His duties are obviously quite you know, small and particular in comparison to uh, you know, um, someone like Jibreel, right? a being like Jibreel. So it's only to that extent. Right? All right, so you've got... A variety of angels of um, uh, yeah, countless kinds of angels and other spirit beings of um, you know that, that perform various duties and always perform them with um, uh, perfect obedience. Right. Now, what is the creational makeup of these beings? Like, um, as we are made of ruh in a sense, like as in what is it that you know animates us? Like, what is it? Um, what are we deep, deep down? We are a spirit, a ruh. Okay. Um, these, are, these beings, yeah, they, are, they have a sort of spirit too, right? They have a sort of spirit too, but it's a different, it's not a human spirit, it's an angelic spirit, right? Um, they are beings whose creational makeup is of nur, right? They are literally made of a kind of light, right? an immaterial light. Now, here's the controversial uh, question. Um, what is the relation? Right? Because different, I've heard different scholars say different things about it. But what is the relation between this um, angelic being made of light and the entities with which it is associated? All right. So you've got, for example, yeah, um, an angelic being made of nur, and but what does Bedouzman say? It's um, mounts or goes inside of, in a sense, in a metaphorical sense, say a raindrop or a bird, a bird of paradise or even a bird of this world. And it sees and it hears the world through the eyes and ears of that bird. Okay. What is the relationship between them? Now, I know of at least one um, Risale reader um, who will go so far as to say that Actually, the physical things of this world, the physical and the non-physical things of this world that we're familiar with, um, and the angels are actually one and the same thing. Right? Um, really, there isn't a sharp distinction between them like this. Right? Um, think about this. Here you are, you're a ruh. Right? Then you've got now, right, at the moment at least, this physical body associated with you. Right? Now, what do we do? What do we say about this physical body? Do we say that it's us? 
Do you really think that this physical body is part of you or do you see it as something distinct from you? Yeah, it's an interesting question, right? So depending on where you fall, right, which side of that dispute you fall on, right? Yeah, if you think that, no, what I am is a ruh and I have certain immaterial faculties associated with, you know, I have, I have um, uh, intelligence and I have life and, um, you know, I can, I can uh, manifest justice and love and so on. Um, uh, that's what I really am, and this body is just really um, a temporary uh, vessel for me, right? It's not really me. It's just a temporary sort of vessel in which I'm metaphorically in. Like, I'm metaphorically in a why because immaterial things cannot literally be in something, can they? Like, to be in something in the literal sense of the word is to be a physical thing, right? You know, to, right, this water is literally in this water bottle, yeah? You know, um, but... To say that something immaterial is literally in it um, would be a, um, uh, a um, what's the um, uh, fallacy, brother? A uh, uh, category error. Be a category error because immaterial things are not the kinds of things that can be literally in something. But anyway, metaphorically at least, you might say, no, my ruh is in this body, but it's not part of me. Or alternatively, you might say, no, it really is part of me. Okay. Probably Beduzuman's going to say that. He's going to say, yeah, look, it's really part of you. You're a dualistic being. You're part ruh and part body. Um, he's going to go so far as to say, never is your ruh not covered with something. He's going to say that, he says quite explicitly elsewhere in the Risale, that when your physical body um, and your ruh are separated, right? so... Uh, Israel comes and he takes your ruh from your body, doesn't he? Your body eventually just disintegrates and it becomes one with the earth, right? So your ruh is not in it anymore. It's not associated with it anymore. Um, what is it? Is it now just naked? But this man says it's never naked. Right? What happens is that in the berzakh, at least, it has a very light, subtle, a nurani sheaf. Like it has like a, something quite appropriate for the ruh, right? Um, it has a sort of covering. It has a sheaf-like covering, a nurani sheaf. And later what happens is that Allah then covers that again, that sheaf, right? which eh, eh, probably it's actually right now. Like probably that always covers the ruh, right? Um, but then later your body leaves it. And then later when you're resurrected in the afterlife, you're resurrected now with a different body. Yeah, You're resurrected with a different body. Um, so that different body in a sense, goes over the top of that nurani sheaf. So that the ruh is never um, uh, naked. Well, if you think like that, if you think that that makes sense, and you know what, uh, that's how you sort of view yourself, right? That, you're, that the sheaf that covers your ruh and the body that covers that sheaf, they're literally part of you, right? Um, then you might think the same about malaika, because the relationship between them is the relationship between the malaika and the physical things of this world uh, is actually quite similar to the relationship between us and our bodies. <laughs> like here, when my, when my immaterial self wants, to, um, uh, wants my arm to move, right, I make a free decision. That's an immaterial event. Right? It's a non-physical event. A decision is made in the mind, and then as soon as I make that decision, I feel my arm move. Right? I want to it to move and to pick this up, and I really do feel that happen there and then, right? Um, so there does seem to be this sort of unity, right? 
there doesn't seem to be a disconnect in a sense right between the two well then you might think that angels are like that you know um in so far as they carry the creational commands all right or in the sense that like when a quark exchanges a force carrier part no uh, a, 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 a sorry a force carrier particle with another quark, right? Um, and those force carrier particles are known as gluons, right? Um, when those gluons are exchanged, yeah, that happens with a certain order, certain regularity, so much so that we, you know, give that regularity a name. We call it a law, right? We call it the, you know, the strong force or the nuclear force or whatever, right? Um, well, the malaika that are in those or associated with those, right? Um, yeah, what happens is that they receive the divine command and then straight away, right, they receive the divine, the, the gluon receives the divine command to move between the two quarks or the three quarks and it does it straight away in the same way as when I decide to move my arm, my arm moves, right? So you've got an immaterial event followed by a physical event and there seems to be a unity between the two in a sense. So I'm sympathetic to that view, um, but alternatively, and probably the more uh, the safer and maybe the you know the more common view is going to be that well actually they're not the same beings, right? You know, um, the angel is actually distinct from it, but the physical thing it acts when you know when the angel follows the command. Right. So if you think like that about angels, you might want to think the same thing about your body, therefore. OK. Um, so, yeah, that's just uh, yeah, just a few, a few thoughts there about, you know, what kind of beings these are, um, you know, because I really want us to get a sense that these beings are everywhere. All right. There is not a four finger space. I mean, and it, it, even that, like, that's probably just a vagary of, um, you know, of uh, Arabic, right? Like, why, why a four finger space? Not, why not a one finger space? It's probably uh, it's a certain way of speaking. It's a certain turn of phrase in Arabic to refer to the fact that there isn't even a tiny space, right? Because what's a four finger space in a massive universe, right? It's hardly anything, right? Okay, um, it's like how in Arabic um, sometimes, like when we mean a lot, we say like, you know, well, I'm not Arabic, but you know, they in Arabic say what like seventy thousand or you know a number like that, um, and that doesn't mean exactly seventy thousand; it just means a lot. All right, so in a similar way to that, yeah, you know, there is not a four finger space in the universe. In other words, not even the tiniest gap in the universe where there are not angelic beings, like every particle of dark matter, whatever that is. All right. Every field, yeah, every quantum field and every collection of these things, right? For every single one of these things, there, there is an angelic being. They are everywhere, all right? So now let's ask, you know, with our remaining time, um, I'm mindful of not keeping you guys late like last time. Um, I've been warned. So, um, <laughs> So let's, um, yeah, come back to our original question right now, remaining time. Why so many um, angelic beings, right? Seeing as though Allah does not need them to do anything. He does not need them. Right? He can make those particles move just, on, uh, just by himself. I mean, that's in part what it means to be a god, right? To be able to move particles is what it means to be a god. Um, so, of course, you know, um, Allah does not need them. But um, nonetheless... He creates them and he brings it about that they carry the divine commands, right? Um, when a water bottle exists, 
right? When the particles of the water bottle come together, you know that there are angels there moving about, you know? Um, yeah, when I, when I lift up this, uh, this is how literally it's the case, right? When I lift up this water bottle and bring it to my mouth, there, uh, there, there is literally an angel moving. There's literally an angel moving there, okay? Um, so they're everywhere and they are involved in every phenomenon, every single phenomenon, right? Why? Why so much, right? Well, let's think back to why it is that Allah creates us in the first place. Because remember, Bediruzzaman says, essentially they perform, right? What did he say back in the, back in the introduction, right? They are observers and worshippers just as we are. Their role is no different to ours, right? In fact, they make up for the worship that we can't do, all right? Um, in one sense, we worship better than them to the extent that we obey even though... Uh, it's tempting not to, right? In that sense, right, we can worship better than them. But in another sense, they worship better than us in that they never fail to worship, right? They never, ever fail. So in that weak sense, right, yeah, their worship is better than ours. They are worshippers, okay? So why the need for worshippers? Well, the need for worshippers, right, um, again, I use need in a restricted sense. Like, I don't say that Allah needs even worshippers in the sense that I need. I just needed that sip of water back then, right? I needed that. Yeah. In that without it, um, uh, there'd, there'd be something missing. But for Allah, it's not like that, right? It's not as though there'll be anything missing. Right? It's not that his perfection is affected one iota had he even used his kulirade, his absolute free will not to create. Allah was free not to create, right? Um, that's the that's the general view, and I hold to that view too. I know there might be some who you know uh, um, will argue against that, but I think the safe view is that Allah could have chosen definitely, definitely could have chosen not to um, create. Nonetheless, He created. Um, but if He had not have, if He did not create, uh, yeah, He still would have been a perfect being. Okay. Um, it's not like, well, you know, uh, if I, you know, you might think that, oh, well, if I don't get married, I won't be complete, right? If I don't have children, I won't be complete, uh, in the sense that, yeah, yeah, yeah we, something will be missing. Right? For Allah, it's not like that at all, okay? Um, what he does is that he creates so that, for our benefit, really, so that we can exist and therefore enjoy his beauty, know his beauty, be enraptured by his beauty, right? just as he loves his own beauty. All right? Allah loves in a manner fitting for him, in a qudsi way, in a, in a way free of all fault. He loves his own beauty. Okay. Well, he wanted, in an act of, in, 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 maybe in the paradigm act of, like in the greatest act of mercy ever, right? he wanted there to be other beings too who could enjoy that beauty. So that's what we do when we worship. Right? As, as we've mentioned in these sessions many, many times, right? To be a worshipper, Bedouzaman says, is an indescribable honour. It's an indescribable, indescribable um, pleasure and good. Right? It's not something onerous. You know, to be a slave of Allah is not to be, you know, thought of uh, like in, in 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 the same sense that we think of slaves um, uh, in you know among human beings, right? You know, you've got the master and then you've got the slave, right? The slave doesn't want to be a slave. Uh, he wants to be free of his slavery, doesn't he? Um, we're not that kind of slave. To be a slave 
to be a worshipper of Allah is an indescribable good because what it means is to have access to the infinite beauty of an infinitely beautiful being. All right. The source of all goodness. That's what it means for Allah to be a being of absolute goodness in the first place. Right? To be a being of absolute goodness, infinite goodness, is to be this. The only reason why there's any goodness at all is thanks to him. And all goodness is due to him and thanks to him. Right? Other beings have goodness and beauty in only a quite metaphorical sense. Just as my power is quite metaphorical, right? it's, it, it's not really me who lifts this water bottle. It's through Allah's power that it's lifted. In the same way, even when I do good, even when I choose to do good, still it's Allah's beauty being manifested there. Okay? And we've had that discussion before and you know, we can talk about that you know, later on or another time if it's unclear. You know? But just know that Allah is a being of absolute beauty and part of what that means is that all beauty inheres and resides in him. All beauty is thanks to him and him alone. Okay? When he creates other beings right, and gives them, the, gives them life, which is the light of existence. Right? It's the light of existence. See, without life, existence is in the darkness. It's not known. It may as well not be there. Yeah? He creates beings. He gives them not just existence, but he gives them life. And then not just life, but he gives them consciousness. And not just consciousness, but in many cases, he gives them intelligence too. Okay. He gives them all the faculties that they need, in other words, and especially the human being who has got more faculties than any other being. He gives us the faculties with which to do what? To know that beauty. Without these faculties, his beauty is in the dark for us. Every single thing that he's given us and every single thing that he makes happen to us, no matter how bad it appears to you at first glance, is all there for that beauty to be known. All right. Um, but here's the problem. How fully can we perform this duty of worship, right? It's a duty too, right? It's a duty. Like, it's like, it's a duty in this sense, right? Like, here's one way of being a worshipper. Allah manifests his artistry. He manifests his name as Sani. And he's just one drop from the ocean of that name, right? For example, he creates all the different kinds of food that have ever been eaten on this planet. He creates all of them. All right. The idea to come up with some new recipe, do you think that just comes from nowhere? Do you think that ideas like they can break that law that ex nihilo nihil fit, from nothing, nothing comes? Right. Thoughts can break that law somehow? Of course not. Thoughts are created by Allah. It's ilham. All right. And there's an angel for that too. There are angels for ilham and Jibril is the main one, but there are other ones too. Right. They carry that command. They are the ones who, yeah, Make you get some idea to do some good thing. All right. You know, well, anyway, right. One drop from the ocean of Allah's um, name of Sani is all the different kinds of food. Right? Um, and we have got the tongue and the nose and the eyes and all the faculties with which to enjoy that particular kind of beauty. All right. So what's expected in return? What's the only appropriate thing to do in return? It's to give thanks. All right. Um, and if you want to make this clear in your mind, just think of something that you hold dear. Because often we, you know, because, um, again, here's the problem. The problem is that these bounties are t- such a constant reality in our lives and we forget that they're bounties as a result. 
because food ends up on our table three, four, five times a day and we forget that it really necessitates an alhamdulillah, right? Um, but, you know, think of something that you hold dear, uh, like I can think of something like my boys, right? My child and my wife, right? You know, if I was to lose my, one of my boys in the shopping centre, even for five minutes, I would be in a state of enormous panic, right? Imagine, imagine you lose your cousin or child or, you know, anyone that's dear to you, even for a short time at a shopping centre. And then what happens is some nice security guard or some, you know, nice man or woman comes and brings you back your child. Say, hey, I found your child, uh, was just about to get on a bus, which actually literally happened. My little sister, when she was little, she literally did that. She literally got on a bus when she was just that big. And the bus driver took it to the shop and they called the police and so on and so on, right? Now, put yourself in that situation. When that man returns to you, your child, who was about to get onto the bus, what's your greatest desire? What are you most desperate to say or do in respect to this man? Of course, you want to thank that person, all right? Oh, here's another scenario, right? Hey, we're at the beach, right? Summer's coming, right? We go to the beach. Um, your child goes for a swim and drowns, right? And you don't swim well and you don't know CPR well, but someone else does. And they come along, they swim, right, against the rip and they get your child out and give CPR and your child breathes again, all right? What do you want to say to the man? Like, what if the man left before you had a chance to say thanks? How troubled would you be by that, yeah? How troubled would you be? Well, to that, well, in exactly that same way, but the only difference being that to an infinitely greater extent, <laughs> to an infinitely greater extent, thanks are due to Allah for every single bounty that we're given on every single occasion. But the problem is that we're just uh, incapable or unwilling to perform that duty, as I've just shown, as if only we knew we would be desperate to perform. If only we knew what a bounty Right? It's each word that you're able to speak, each sound that you're able to hear. You know, everything is an infinite bounty. Cause each, why? Because each of these things are being, uh, enabling you to know a being of infinite beauty, an infinite being. Okay. So doesn't matter big or small, doesn't matter. Right? They're still, their value is equal in a sense. Their value is equal. All right. But we can't perform that duty properly. Like there is, for example... A nuclear reaction taking place in the core of a star um, so distant from us that light from that galaxy has yet to reach us. All right? Um, who gave proper thanks for that? Did you? Did you? Did you? Did you? <laughs> not one of us, right? Well, fear not. Fear not. Just ask Allah to forgive you, right? That's why even our Prophet, peace be upon him, right? This is a prophet. This is the greatest of humanity. He asks for forgiveness a hundred times a day. Part of the reason might be this. Right? We just can't perform our duty of worship, right, as we ought to. But, but don't worry. Ask Allah to forgive you and keep in mind that there, is, that there is not one, but a number of angels in the core of that star, Right? And in each of the particles of that star, performing that duty. That's why they are everywhere. Okay? They are there to perform the worship and glorification that we are not able to properly do, given our uh, limitedness. Given our limitedness. But what actually, what we're meant to aim to do, we're meant to aim to universalize our worship. All right? We're meant to try to be thankful for every single thing that Allah does, as much as we can. As much as we can. Like, you know, when I'm 
thankful for you know the bounties that Allah gives me, like the food that Allah gives me, I should also be thankful for the bounties that Allah gives every one of you and every being in existence. All right. I should be thankful for that. I should be appreciative of that, even if it's just in my heart. Even if I never verbalize it, I should at the very least do this. I should assent to the fact, like in, in my mind, in my tiny little mind, right? I should assent to the fact that, yeah, that is a good which Allah deserves thanks for. At least admit that, okay? And, there, and thereby perform right, one um, tiny bit of your uh, duty of worship. Um, but yeah, there are angels everywhere. Right? And so here's the thing. Like, what is it that makes it possible for us to be, you know, really thankful and appreciative of, you know, um, the things that we're given, like this body, right? You know, like your faculties, your hearing and your seeing and so on. Like, remember we said that, oh, uh, a couple of weeks ago or last week, if you began to lose your hearing a bit, like my father, he doesn't hear so well in his left ear, you know, he probably appreciates his hearing better than I do, right? You know, so, yeah, as you begin to lose these faculties, you appreciate them more and more, right? You know, um, well, what is it that makes us capable in the first place of appreciating um, the value of something like our hearing? I say it's our intimate connection with it, right? There's such an intimate connection between this ear here Right? And the ruh that is inside, metaphorically, inside this body. There's such an intimate connection between it. Right? I really do feel like it's my ear, in other words. Right? And it's to that extent that I'm able to sincerely give thanks for it on the occasions that I do do that at least. Right? On those rare occasions that I do you know, thank Allah for that. Um, you know, I mean, that's why look in our religion, like there's a du'a for every little thing. There's a du'a for when you get in the car. There's a du'a for when you make the trip. There's a du'a for when you get on the aeroplane. There's a du'a for every little thing. All right. And the principle behind that, the reason for that is just this, that thanks and appreciation is due for every single one of those things. Right? Um, and the sunnah is there to remind us of that. All right. Um, but let's say that we felt really disconnected from our bodies and, you know, the things... Um, that we engage with in this world. I say that to whatever extent we feel disconnected from that, to that extent our worship is going to suffer. All right? So that's going to be the wisdom for why there is such a close link between angelic beings and the physical and non-physical things with which they are associated. Okay? Because it's by sort of, in a way, riding in that, yeah, flying inside the body of that um, bird and seeing with its eyes, and hearing with its ears, right, and tasting its food, and so on, right? It's by, in a sense, like, yeah, being within that being. Whether or not you want to say, you know, the bird and the angel are the same thing, doesn't matter. Even if they're not the same thing, still there's this close nexus between them. There's a close link between them. And it's thanks to that link that they are able to sincerely glorify Allah, right? See... They represent the glorifications of those things, right? Like, um, uh, you know, uh, it says um, all throughout the Risaleh and in the Quran, too. I'll finish on this note, you know, that there is not a. وَإِن مِنْ شَيْءٍ إِلَّا يُسَبِّحُ بِحَمْدِ And there is not a thing, but it glorifies him with praise. All right. Um, all the physical things in and of themselves are glorifying Allah, right? Here, see the cap of this water bottle? It is glorifying Allah. The physical thing, in what sense? How? It's not a conscious being. It's not an intelligent or living being. Just considering the cap in and of itself, right? Um, well, it glorifies in the sense that, 
like, like this, right, through its lisana hal, through the tongue of its hal, the tongue of its state. What's its state? Look at it. Its state is this. It is pathetic. It is utterly incapable of manifesting order and power and whatever divine names it reflects on its own. Right? It cannot do that on its own. Like, how, how is it that the particles of this cap manage to stay in position like this? Right? Why doesn't it just disintegrate and become one with the table? It just doesn't do that. Alhamdulillah, it stays. Otherwise, this water is going to spill all over this you know, laptop and you know, this brand new pixel. All right? And I'm not going to be happy because I just got it. All right? So it's really, I'm thankful for it. Alhamdulillah. Right? That this does not disintegrate. But how? How does it not disintegrate? Right? Well, we all know that given that the particles of this in and of themselves are lifeless, unconscious, unintelligent, right? they cannot be responsible for that order and that power themselves. In that sense of the word, they are glorifying Allah through the lisan of their impoverished state. Right? But then what there is is in addition to that kind of worship, there, there are malaika associated with every particle right, of, 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 of this cap. And every collection of particles too, right? Like um, uh, for every um, entity within it, like for example, every proton, for every atom, right? These are composites of, so, you know, so it's, it's, it's groups of angels on top of group, groups of angels on top of groups of angels, right? That's what we've got here. And then finally, there's a, an angel for the cap itself, okay? Each one of those things is representing or more literally, right? representing the worship of those um, particles. They are worshipping with one kind of tongue, right? but then the conscious, living, intelligent angels, right? Um, I don't say they all have the same level of intelligence or, you know, um, that they're smart like us or anything like that, but they have a degree of consciousness and a degree of knowledge and, you know, intellect commensurate with the duties they've got to perform, Right? They have enough intelligence to be able to do this at least, to know that the beauty of Allah, the names and attributes of Allah are being manifested here, and that that deserves glorification, and therefore they glorify Allah constantly. Right? They glorify Allah uh, for all the divine beauty that's being manifested just in that. And, and we could say the same thing about every single thing. All right? So that's basically it. Right? It's because of the extent of divine beauty that there needs to be this many angelic beings. Divine beauty being absolute beauty, it cannot go unknown. All right. Part of what it means to be a being of absolute beauty is also this, that it's known. Okay? That there are beings that know it. Because right? imagine this, imagine two candidates for being absolutely beautiful. Right? Two beings that purport to be perfectly beautiful. Okay? There's one being that's very beautiful, but there is nobody that knows it other than itself, right? Like imagine an artist, right? Um, yeah, imagine Bede, right? You weren't here last week for me to pick on you. Pick on you. Um, you left early. I couldn't pick on you, right? Uh, like imagine that you were a hermit, right? And you didn't go on Instagram. You didn't go on Facebook. And you did your art, right, which I've seen, which is very nice, right? But nobody saw it other than you. All right? That's one. One possessor of, um, you know, of a kind of beauty, right? Artistry. But now another, right? Another, right? Here, um, uh, being of artistry number two, right? Here's Shabir. He too produces artwork of equal quality, let's say. But what he does is he 
right? Um, shows it to the world, right? Um, with sincere intentions, of course, right? He shows it to the world because he wants divine beauty to be known, let's say, right? Which is a candidate for a fuller, a more beautiful artistry. Definitely should be a, sorry to say, definitely should be a, right? So right, we see from this that a beauty that is known, right? See, see, Allah has given us the wisdom to recognize this. Right? It's our wisdom that recognizes right, what's beautiful and what's not, what's more beautiful and what's, what's, what's less beautiful. Right, your conscience, in other words, right? Your your wish done. All right. So yeah, we recognize with our wish done that this is the case. That part of what it means to be a being of infinite, of absolute beauty, of qualitatively infinite beauty, is to be the sort of being whose beauty is known, right? So given that Allah is a being of infinite and absolute beauty, just like that, well, there will be beings in every part right quite literally every part of the entire created realm that's why there are the you know angels of the divine throne right um that's why there are angels in every corner of paradise um every corner of our universe right they're there to know divine beauty that's the kind of being that is our lord right he's a being of infinite beauty who deserves to be worshipped in the most full way okay um, nothing short of that will suffice, right? And hence the need for angels everywhere. Yeah, that's it, guys, from me. Um, that's it from me. Uh, over to you guys if there's anything to um, add or ask. Yeah. Um, one thing that did come to mind, and it's related to one of the later points that you made with regards to um, angels sort of fulfilling the gap in our, our inability to properly express gratitude to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Yeah. Um, there's a hadith which mentions that... Um, well, there are multiple ayahs and narrations and one which speaks about the extent of the worship uh, of the angels. And you mentioned the hadith where the Prophet ﷺ said that there is not a, that the heavens have croaked and rightly so because there isn't a space of uh, four fingers except that there's an angel who's prostrating or standing before Allah and, and, and uh, praising him. And, uh, and many other hadith, for example, one that speaks about the Bayt al-Ma'mur, which is essentially the Kaaba of the angels, uh, wherein 70,000 angels per day uh, circumambulate around the Kaaba, uh, around that, that house of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And each angel that passes by, that, that, that house will never return again. So basically 70,000 angels every day right. circumambulating around, uh, around that, that, that house so of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. New ones Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala creates new angels just for that, just for that single uh, ibadah. And that there are angels which are created in the positions of prostration, in the positions of um, standing before Allah, in, in, in bowing Him, uh, and are, are created and are sort of um, uh, deceased, if you like, upon that state. So basically, the, 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 the disposition is in complete accordance with the divine will. Uh, and yet, when they're resurrected, uh, the first thing that the angels say in unison, and I think we may have mentioned this before, is that Subhanaka ma'abadanaka haqqa ibadatik, that glory be to you, we have not worshipped you in the, in the way that you ought to be worshipped. So that is even the, the worship of the, of the angels, yeah. like you mentioned, they, they never fail to, do, to, to worship Allah, yeah. and they, they never fail to achieve excellence in their worship, and yet still they're unable to fulfill the right of the infinite, subhanahu wa ta'ala. Mm. So whether it be with their um, uh, doing what we're unable to do or not, yeah. uh, not to sort of discredit the point that you're making because they are there for that purpose yeah. but it, it just goes to show the the uh, the the um, 
the infinitude, if you like, of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that, that nothing can, can uh, nothing and nobody, no matter how they try to do it, whether it be a prophet, an angel, or whoever else, yeah. can fulfill the right of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And uh, on that uh, is a narration where the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam speaks about Dawood alayhi salam. Uh, and says that once Dawood alayhi salam, he beseeched and spoke to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. After sort of ruminating and reflecting on this notion of shukr and how can the finite sort of um, uh, express the sufficient gratitude to the infinite, subhanahu wa ta'ala. And he said to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, how can I express gratitude to you when the ability and the action of expressing gratitude to you is in, is in and of itself something which requires gratitude. Mm-hmm. So it's this idea of the, the, an, an, an infinite loop from which there's no escape. Yeah. And yeah. the response was from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that, shukri, that now you have expressed gratitude in the way that I am, uh, uh, that, that, I'm, or that, that uh, you ought to do so. Yeah. Uh, that it's, it's with the understanding that you'll never be able to do so essentially. Yeah. 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 So I, I thought that was a, the, a, a sort of relevant or yeah. pertinent to, to that notion of shukr. Absolutely, mm. definitely. Uh, um, yeah, I'll definitely um, appreciate that. Yeah, that's definitely um, entirely relevant, you know. Um, like even our prophet, like let alone the, the angels, right? Even our prophet, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, when he, I'm sure I've mentioned this before, you know, but when he um, ascends on the miraj to Kaaba Kalsin, right? Kabul Khalsin is a distance of two bow lengths, right, um, of Allah, right? So, yeah, he ascends to um, basically the logical limits, right? Uh, that's how far it's possible to go for a finite being. He ascends to that, to that distance, and still, even after that, after having toured the entire created realm, not just this universe, everything that's been created, after having seen and appreciated everything that Allah has created, all right, um, remember, to appreciate is to worship, right? After having done all that, still, still he says to Allah, like a, a number of sentences, you know, but among them, the fact that, you know, I did not worship you as you deserve to be worshipped. And, and he goes on and on like this, you know, for some time, you know. Um, so here's the thing, like, why, like, yeah, there is still a gap, true. You know, despite the fact that there are angels uh, everywhere, to make up for our inability to fully worship. Yeah, Sadiq is exactly right, you know, that definitely that's not to say that they somehow fill uh, a gap entirely, you know. Um, And the reason for that is this, because still we're always talking about an infinite being and it doesn't matter how many finite beings Allah creates, right? So this is a logical truth, right? And you can't ask Allah to do the illogical, right? Because then you'd be asking him to not be him, because you know, logic itself exists first because he does. All right. The, the infinite can never be fully known, fully appreciated by the finite. So it doesn't matter how many beings Allah creates. Like, like the biggest number that I know is um, Googleplex, right? Is there a bigger number that you guys know of? Right, Googleplex, right? Uh, aside from infinity, right? You know, I, I'm not sure that infinity is a number. I think that's just... More a concept, but you know, um, so right, Googleplex to the power, Googleplex to the power, Googleplex, right? Just keep going on like this till we die, right? Imagine Allah created that many beings, right? Do you know what a big number a Googleplex is? It's a unimaginably large number. Well, that to the power, that to the power, that till we all die, all right? Um, even, even if you created that many beings, the problem is that that is still, right? Uh, compared to infinity, that is still an infinitesimally small number. 
<laughs> All right. So does not matter how many finite beings Allah creates, still, you know, he has infinite beauty to manifest, right? He can still be known to an infinitely greater extent. And yeah, so what can one do to make their worship complete in respect of a being like that, right? Other than, exactly as you say, to at least acknowledge that, hey, you know, not just my worship, but all of our worship, every human being, every jinn, every member of the malaika, right? All their worship combined right, uh, still does not suffice. And so it's because of these reasons that you know, Allah creates infinitely, right? Paradise is an infinite realm, hell is an infinite realm, right? The divine names will continue to be manifested um, continually for all eternity, um, and, you know, things are going to happen like the appreciation of divine beauty is going to, you know, happen to an exponentially greater or in an exponentially faster way in paradise for us, you know, because as I said, we're going to have the kinds of bodies that are capable of being in, you know, numerous places at once, thousands of places at once, right? Um, enjoying divine beauty in all of those places simultaneously. So that speeds the process up a little bit, but still, right, this is an infinite being we're talking about. This process never ends but that's a great thing because that means that yeah there's no end to enjoying the beauty of the source of all beauty there's no end to it so it's a good thing it's a good thing so the, although there's a logical problem there's a logical limit um in another way it's good right for us finite beings because we'll continue to notice being for all eternity you know so actually i, I should just mention quickly like that you know it, we should bring this sort of thing in mind, right? Um, I try to do it myself. I do, I do try to bring this to mind. Like, you know, on those occasions when life is hard, you know, on those occasions where our patience is tested and, you know, we find it hard to uh, choose correctly, to do the right thing, um, one important context in which patience must be shown, like this one has a treatise on patience and he says that there is patience that's got to be shown uh, in respect of a number of matters, Right, um, and a key one is this, right? You know, patience in respect of avoiding the haram and you know, and choosing the right. Okay, we've got to be patient. Like, no matter what difficulties Allah burdens us with, know that He does not burden us with greater than that which we can bear. Right? This is in the authentic sources. Right? We know that we know definitely that He does not burden us with greater than that which we can bear. So, what we should do is we should be patient. Right? We should patiently endure any difficulty he gives us, in the, safe in the knowledge that any difficulty that we have to suffer in this life can only be to the door of the grave, as long as we choose right, though. If you choose incorrectly, your difficulties will continue then. So it's, you know, um, we're actually being quite foolish if we're choosing correctly, because we're choosing incorrectly out of pain, but by choosing incorrectly, we're going to exacerbate and prolong our pain, potentially. All right. So just know that your time here is so infinitesimally short compared to your life in paradise. All right. It's no. There's no point being upset that you know you didn't. You know you didn't marry the brother you wanted, or you didn't. You know the sister that you wanted to marry. She she, she didn't like you, or you didn't get the job you wanted. You didn't earn the amount of money that you wanted. You didn't get the job you hoped for, and so on and so on. Right. Um, all of these um, feelings and pains right, are utterly insignificant right? um, when we consider that yeah, our life here is just like, it's just a blink of an eye. Like, do I lament a pinprick that I felt 
um, you know, thir- 30 years ago. Like I tell you, guys, like when I was uh, little, right, when I was, uh, I don't know, four or five, right, a-, a wicked lady, right, said to me, hey, you know, go on, there was like a beehive, right, dead set. She said, there's a beehive. And she said, oh, yeah, just go in there. They won't do anything to you. And I, and I went there, like, because I had... Um, uh, you know one of those honeycomb chocolates, right? And I thought that, like, I knew there was a relationship between honey and bees, and I thought that the bees would want some. And the lady said, yeah, yeah, go and give them. Go and give them. So I went, and what happens? I got stung on the head. I got stung on the head by a bee, all right? And it was incredibly painful. I was crying and crying. Am I bothered by that now? I, it, was a, it was an extreme pain, but the thing was, it was only for a brief period, right? Like, I can't even remember how long, right? few minutes few hours whatever right well imagine i went through that degree of pain for 70 or 80 years right? it's equivalent to that it's it's just a little bit longer than that really in the scheme of things in a trillion years time in paradise when you're enjoying beauty on a thousand planets at once all right um are you going to worry about the fact that hey you know you went through a certain difficulty for a year or a week or even 70 years yeah you know that's why the lady who's imprisoned by a bad man for 30 years um don't worry he's going to be held to account one he's going to be held to account in the most just and full way uh that that is required right but she's going to be compensated for it to an exponentially greater extent so um you know her that pain 30 year difficulty 30 years pain just infinitesimally short time in the scheme of things right it's just basic mathematics you know when there or anything else? The sisters, come on, you guys, please. Dear. Uh-huh. Okay. Sure. Okay. Ah, uh, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you got uh, more to the question? Okay. Go on. Uh. Yeah. So what is the difference between that and sure. in that way does that mean that there is a difference between the worshippers that Andrew wants and so it's not it's not directly comp- completely. Okay. Sure. All right. So uh, because my memory is limited, I'll deal with uh, the latter part first and then I, I might have to ask you to remind me of the former part, okay? So, you know, so there are three at least, you know, three um uh, pillars or components of worship, right? Um, and it is exactly tasbih, right? Subhanallah, right? Hamd, alhamdulillah, and um, you know, uh, uh, exaltation, right? Allahu Akbar. Okay. Um, so tasbih is definitely worship, right? It's not something different, right? Um, to perform tasbih is just to say this, right? What well, we're going to see it's just the flip side of exaltation, right? Um, so what is it to exalt Allah? To say Allahu Akbar is to say that um, Allah is a being of, uh, ultimately, is to say that he's a being of perfection, right? So it's going to make more sense when I talk about tasbih, right? To say subhanallah is to say this, that Allah is free of all fault. Okay? That's just another way of saying that um, he's a being of perfection. A being that has no faults is a being of perfection, right? So that the kinds of worship... Uh, they meld into one another, right? So you've got um, Allahu Akbar on the one hand, and SubhanAllah on the other. They're just flip sides of exactly the same coin. All 
right? So now, did I additionally perform um, hamd? Like, did I give thanks to Allah? So different beings are required to perform a different degree or uh, kind or extent of worship depending on the faculties given to them. So there might be uh, certain high-ranking angels that do have the ability to you know, thank Allah verbally as we do. They'll be required to thank verbally and they will thank verbally. See, the kinds of angels are, um, there are, there are countless kinds of angels. And, you know, yeah, so what Bidisman is saying is that they're not of one kind. Right. There are of many different kinds, like, for example, Jibril came in human form, all right? so he can talk too. Right? Um, yeah, they're not all of the same sort, depending on what sort they are. In other words, depending on what faculties Allah has endowed them with, to that degree they'll be expected to worship. All right. um, so that's a sobering thought for us. We're given the most faculties, that's why our worship is um, uh, of many more different kinds than, say, another being's worship. Like, for example, the worship that's expected of my um, six-year-old, I've got a six-year-old and a nine-year-old, the worship expected of the six-year-old is going to be different to the worship expected of the nine-year-old and, 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 and the baba, all right? Um, yeah, the greater your intellect, the more faculties you've got, right? The kind of being that you are, all these are relevant to what kind of worship you're going to perform. So it's not that they're performing anything different to us uh, in one sense. We're both performing worship. It's just if we perform different kinds or, so, you know, in a, in a sense, more worship than them, it's only because we've got more faculties, right? Um, now, uh, Allah says that he did not create jinn and man other than to worship him, right? So why mention their jinn and man and not angels, right, is the thing, right? What? what Again, it's a question of faculties, right? What kinds of beings right, need to be told this? I didn't create you for anything other than worship. You better worship because you weren't created for anything else. You weren't created to do this, right? Um, you weren't created to set worship aside right, and pursue, like, like, come to university just so that you can get a high-paying job so that the people in the community can say, look, what, what an accomplished person you are. All right. What's that? It's to worship, in a sense, the community or to worship yourself. It's to worship someone other than Allah, right? Um, and that's not a proper worship, right? What kind of beings need to be reminded of that sort of thing? Only free-willed beings. So which kinds of beings are free-willed beings? Jinn and mankind. Right? Angels don't have free will. They just worship uh, quite automatically, right? That's why their rank is stationary. That's why they can't rise, they can't come to know Allah um, in a fuller way. They can't become more mature than what they already are. Right? They just stay completely still in terms of their progress, whereas we can progress infinitely. Right? We can rise to right, the highest of the high, or we can fall to the lowest of the low. But the angels, they just remain stationary. But the thing is that Allah offered the trust to, you know, everyone, right? The heavens and the earth and the mountains, as the verse goes. And only we accepted it, right? Because we accepted it, we are the ones that need to be reminded, right? Because what is it to accept the trust? It's to, it's, it's to say, yes, I'll accept to have this thing called free will and this thing called anna and this thing called um, nafs, nafs al-ammar at the start, all right? It's to accept all of that, even though those things might make me fall to the lowest of the low. All right. So we need to be reminded. So that verse is just pure hidayah. It's pure hidayah. And look at, look at the precision of the Qur'an. So I'm glad you mention it now, because look at the precision of the Qur'an. Like, um, look how appropriate the choice of words. Uh, for the being that 
like, what's the point reminding an angel that, hey, you weren't created for anything other than worship? But they've not got the free will to do anything other than worship. So there's no point. So Allah does not do things in vain. To say something superfluous does not befit a, a being of infinite wisdom. All right. So, yeah, I hope that answers your questions. Yeah. Yeah. Anything, anything else? Actually, let, let me just finish on this question, right? Um, a sister, I'm not sure if she's here uh, last week, um, right in the last moment, she asked about, um, uh, because it's relevant to what we just said, you know, um, uh, didn't Allah create um, some of the jinn and the devils um, to do evil? Because remember we talked about uh, existence being connected with goodness? Right? Um, and... I spoke to that sister privately on our, on our way out um, to, to the lift, um, but no one else would have uh, heard. So in case anyone um, you know, had any worries about that, let me just in one, in 30 seconds, just say what I said um, uh, to her. Uh, the thing is this, right, that jinn and even Iblis himself, they are free-willed beings. They were created, actually, like it's a mistake, actually, to think that they were created by Allah um, so as to fail, so as to do wrong, so as to do evil. They could have been among the jinn that are going to go to paradise. It's just that they use their free will. Like, you know, in some way, at some point, you know, Allah has given even Iblis free will. Right. Now we don't know the Mahi or all, all this because see there are all kinds of questions that crop up, crop up like because see this whole incident in which Iblis you know this primordial diso act of disobedience when does that happen before the dunya um, uh, in Jannah right so what talk can there be in Jannah of uh, you know beings having the opportunity to choose wrong and so on you know um, so there are a variety of questions that need to be dealt with there you know but they're not relevant to this in one way or another in some context or other Allah has given free will to Iblis and he's used that free will wrongly quite freely Allah did not force him to do it he didn't have to do it in other words right so all of the jinn that um, exist that do wrong they all freely choose to do it right? they're not forced to if they end up um, as as uh, satans it's only in respect of their misuse of their free will they weren't created as satans even iblis was not created as a satan what was iblis created as a jinn Right, some of whom are going to go to gender. A jinn is what? It's just a being created from smokeless fire and maybe a certain body is associated with that being in different realms, right? Allah Alam. All right. Um, it's not a devil yet. It's not a Satan yet. It's a Satan uh, in this sense only. It always chooses wrong. So there can be even human Satans. Right? Satans are in human form even. Well, who are these guys? The ones that always choose wrong. If you only choose wrong, to that extent, you're devilish. You're, what do they say in English? Diabolical, right? The word diabolical is from the Latin di diabolos. Who's diabolos? It's Iblis. All right. They choose wrong and hence they become diabolical. They weren't forced to choose wrong. They weren't forced to become devils. Um, but seeing as though they're going to choose wrong, and among the things they can choose wrong is, for example, to whisper into the ear of human beings and you know, um, give them you know, a, uh, you know, a kind of inspiration, a kind of idea or thought to do wrong, 
right? Every time you get the idea to do something wrong, that's what's going on, right? A jinn is doing that. They've got the ability to do that. Seeing as though they're going to freely choose to do that, right? Allah's testing them too. Seeing as though they're going to freely choose to do that, oh, what? Well, Allah says that he'll bring good out of that. Allah brings good out of that. Um, so that Allah's enabling it is not bad. It's pure good, in fact, because but for that, you're not going to be able to grow and in that sense come to know Allah to greater and greater extents. All right? So it's definitely an inestimable good, but they freely choose wrong. And to that extent, they become diabolical and they become devils and satans. And it's for that reason they're punished. They weren't created to be that um, in a sense. Like they're choosing wrongly is logically posterior. It's logically after their the um, Allah's creating them, all right? So, so yeah, Allah's decision to create them happens, and then they choose wrong, okay? Not the other way around. Yeah, not the other way around. Um, yeah, we'll finish there, guys. All right. Otherwise, I'm going to keep you all night. It's six o six. Okay. Subhanaka la ilma lana illa ma'alimtana inna ka antal aliman hakim ala rasulina salawat Allah Thank you so much for your uh, attention, guys. I appreciate it.